Uh, so chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to kind of briefly fly over um, what we covered two weeks ago. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, uh, the aim was to kind of keep it consolidated. I, like, I literally have no idea for hur- hurricane protocol. All I know is from COVID, I'm like, I'm going to like, even if there's no power, I'm going to show up and we're going to do something because, you know, I want to have church. And so... Um, so we're here. Um, so let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we, again, uh, just ask you, Lord, we might uh, have things on, on our mind um, that are distracting us. We might be concerned about the rains. We might be concerned about our property. We might be concerned about our roofs. We might be concerned about flooding coming in. We might be concerned about, like, our whatever. We're really good at worrying about stuff. It could be anything. And so, Father, I pray that as we uh, turn our attention to the scriptures, Lord. I I pray that you would uh, that you would get our attention through your word, and that you would help us to see what is said here, uh, Lord. Ultimately, that we would um, just hear from you. This passage is uh, so focused on those who have given their life to Christ, and so we uh, approach this, Lord, sort of with the understanding is that um, that we're hearing this as individuals who have heard the good news that Jesus died for us, that he was buried uh, and he raised the third day according to the scriptures, and he did this according to our sins, and that we receive this free gift of salvation uh, by grace uh, through faith. And so we ask, Lord, um, if there are people here who don't know you as Savior, that you would help them uh, to get to the place where they can trust you for salvation, because ultimately that's the most important thing. And for those of us who have given our lives to you, uh, we, we come before you, Lord, acknowledging the, the, the pull of our flesh and this, um, this dual nature that we now have within us, that we have the Spirit of God within us, but we have our flesh. And there is a battle that rages within us. Um, I think of Paul in Romans 7, that the things that we want to do and that we long to do, so often we don't do those things. And the things that we don't want to do, those are the very things that we so often do. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us uh, to live our lives in a way that we are truly yielded to you, that your spirit has his way in our life, and that we would walk uh, carefully in our lives, understanding that life is but a vapor, and we truly want to um, not waste our lives, that we want to to live fully for you so that when we come to the end of our our life that we would look back um, without remorse and regrets and wishing that we had done things differently. And while we can't change the past, um, we can change how we live uh, from this moment forward. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us uh, just to honor you with our lives. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always giving thanks 
for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask uh, that you would lead us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so by way of review, the first two or three verses there, I'm not going to like re-preach the whole sermon, but I kind of want to recapture um, what was said. And so in verse 15, he starts with this, this so then, it, it precedes uh, the verse right before it, which basically says, wake up, Christian. Like, uh, in light of all of this, we need to, to wake up and recognize um, who we are, who God is, and and to get serious about how we live our lives, because one day uh, we're going to give an account before God, and so we want to live our lives well. And he says, be careful how you walk. This is the idea that we really think through and we're diligent about the the the, the course of our life. This uh, how you walk. This is just the, the journey of our lives from from the day we're born to the day we die. We're given twenty four hours a day, and how we use those hours. We have opportunities. We have things that sort of uh, come before us, and so we are to be careful with how we live our lives. The point was sort of that little compromises lead to big problems. If you compromise in one little area, it can get you way off course. And so Wiest, in his translation, he says, be constantly taking heed how accurately you are conducting yourselves so that we are very cautious and careful about how we live out our lives. Uh, not as unwise people, but as wise. There are two categories. I feel like I've been on both sides of the coin. Uh, sometimes in one day, I can be on both sides of the coin. Uh, the Bible categorizes sort of people into these two categories, the wise and the foolish. Uh, according to Scripture in Psalm 14.1, uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And I think that basically like encapsulates um, where folly comes from. You use, you believe, not you, the fool believes there is no God. And because there is no God, my life is not tethered to any sort of accountability. And I can just sort of go about my days doing whatever makes me happy, whatever pleases me. It's all about myself. And it's really foolish because that sort of mentality leads nowhere good. Now, the wise in scripture, Proverbs 9.10, say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so the Bible tells us that the person who is wise, they wake up in the morning and they can look at all of the events around them. And they see the stars and the vastness of the universe. And they look at the intricacy. How do you say that word? I said it right? Nice. Um, I keep joking with that. I'm like, it's so hard being bilingual now with all my, like, you know, that's like, I'm not, that had nothing to do with it. Um, uh, so like when you look at the detail, whether you look at the, the, the telescope looking at the vastness of the universe, or you go down to the microscopic level and you look at the, like the cellular level of creation, to think that this is just happenstance, that the, the details, it, it's overwhelming. So just to sort of like, to look out as uh, Psalm 19 talks about that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And so to go, you know what? I'm a nobody. Like, I love that song. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul, I think is basically how the lyrics goes. Um, it's like, there's something so much bigger out there that there is a God 
And I didn't just happen to come into existence, that I was created by the creator. And because I have a creator, how I look about the world, the people I interact with, the things that I go about my day, I need to have wisdom in how I navigate these things. Uh, Merida, he says, the fool lives recklessly. He flaunts folly, hangs with fools, and despises wisdom. The wise man, in contrast, values wisdom and pursues it diligently. Okay, then he goes on to verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And so we were introduced to this idea of time. The Greek has two words uh, for time. The first is the one that we're very familiar with is, is chronos. It's sort of like there's 24 hours in a day, how you utilize your time. Um, that's one way to understand it. But the word here is kairos. And so this, this idea about kairos is more about the, <clears throat> the opportunities that present themselves in your life day by day. There's going to be all sorts of things presented to you. And so it's a very radical shift if you, I always understood this word as chronos. And so then I interpreted it and applied it sort of about productivity so that the more things I get done, the more happy God is with me. But the reality is this word is kairos. And so it's, it's not about productivity. It's about making the most of the opportunities that are presented to you day by day. There are opportunities that are floating by. You can seize them or you can let them go. There are opportunities that are good. There's opportunities that are bad. And so it's super important that we really take the time to, to examine how are we using our life? Are we making the most of the opportunities that God is presenting before us? Are we missing opportunities that God is laying before us? And he goes on to, to say, <clears throat> the verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord. And so this was a wonderful thought to think that the creator of the universe, that he knows you, he cares about you, he has a desire for your, your life and the, and the, and the details and the, the, the little things and the big things. And that we are encouraged here to like understand God and to seek God and to have him sort of direct your steps. Um, and so then that sort of leaves you hanging here. We sort of encapsulated the last two weeks ago message. And it's sort of like when you read this, but understand what the will of the Lord is, it's kind of like, okay, well, what does God desire of my life? What does God ask of me? And the next handful of weeks, we're going to be super like have our toes stepped on. Um, he gets into our personal lives. He gets into our marriages. He gets into your places of employment. Like, it's like the brass tacks of our life, like the actual areas like where we live and breathe and move and, and how do we do things. God gives us these instructions by Paul that God really does care. Like these are the things that God cares about. And so the very first thing he starts with is, is verse 18. Uh, do not get drunk with wine for that is dis, dis, dissipation. Dissipation means uh, the squandering of resources that have been given to you. Um, and so this, this verse always sort of like opens up a can of worms. Um, I'm going to take a sip of water. <sighs> no, no jokes up here. <laughs> Sorry. My mind is like chasing random thoughts all the time. Um, 
So it'd be very easy to come to this verse, and people have, that, that they'd launch from this verse and then say, the Bible made it very clear, makes it very clear that there's no place for alcohol in the Christian's life, period. Um, and, and so we have to kind of tackle some difficult things. So, so I, I really have a difficult time. Like, so I've like took in a bunch of information over the last couple of weeks and I, I have it in the past and, and you, you can, you can hear and read and study from those that hold, uh, to a totally abstinence perspective. And it's like, well, they make some really good points. They make some really good points, but they speak in such a dogmatic way. And then I get kind of like frustrated as, as a Bible teacher because they're not being true to the scripture because there's a whole bunch of other scriptures that you have to sort of like deal with. And, and, and so you're, they, they make this dogmatic statement that there's no place for alcohol in the Christian's life across the board, period. And they, they do it at the expense of the totality of what Scripture says. And to me, that's wrong. Like, like for me, as a Bible teacher, it's not about me and my thoughts and my thinking. It's about what does the Scripture say, and I have an obligation to sort of uphold what the Bible actually teaches. And we can spend weeks on this. Um, but then I also have a really hard time, because on the other side of the spect- spectrum, um, You'll get like the young, cool pastor guys with the, you know, the, the beards and the glasses and the black shirts and the dress, they don't dress like me. Um, and they'll be like, have their Bible open with a, with a, some scotch on the rocks going, I'm just like Spurgeon, you know, and it's like, dude, like, you're making light of a situation that is like, even like, it's really dangerous ground because the Bible also says a lot of stuff on the other end of the spectrum. Like, and so we, we have to sort of like handle this really carefully. Um, there's too many verses for me to, to, to cover, like, especially like, you know, as a hurricane's coming, that'll be my excuse today. Um, but like what, a couple passages like on the Bible's like warning of alcohol. Uh, so in Proverbs 23, 29 through 35, we read, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Those who who go to taste to mix wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like the one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on top of a mast, so like a drunken sailor. The Bible just starts ripping on sailors way back when. Um, and the drunken sailor says this, they struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. And so Proverbs kind of talks about the dangers of alcohol. Uh, Paul in Galatians and, and other places, like throughout the New Testament, you read things like this in Galatians five nineteen through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh 
are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is sort of like the preface to the fruit of the Spirit. And these particular verses, for me, as I became a Christian, and that's sort of like the land between not being a Christian and being a Christian, I don't have like a day, I have like a season. And I struggled with alcohol. And so I believe in hindsight, I believe that I was, I believed that I was a saved drunk during that window. Um, but I would come across these verses and I would be super convicted. And I, like, I totally believe in the assurance of salvation that if you are saved, if you've received the Spirit of God, you're sealed until the day of redemption, Ephesians 1 tells us. But I don't think that there's assurance of your salvation if your life is marked by drunkenness. Because you read these verses, and it's like, it says here, drunkenness, if your life is marked by drunkenness, and mine was during that stage of my life, I will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so there's like, so like while I adhere to the assurance of salvation, in that place of drunkenness and hungoverness and that vicious cycle, I didn't have assurance of my salvation because of these verses. And I thank God that in our moments of not walking with him, there, there are these verses that the Spirit of God zaps in our life to bring us into alignment with himself. I don't have a bunch of statistics to bring you. I could have brought you a whole bunch of statistics, but the, because I don't think we need them. Like, like the, the reality of the wrath of alcohol in our world is undeniable. If we were to take away alcohol, like off the face of the earth, take away all alcohol, take away all drugs, well, just kind of like anything that alters our mind state, um, I think we would, like, we would still have problems because we're sinners and we would cultivate new ways. But when I look at the, the destruction of alcohol, the lives that have been taken, the children that have been abused, uh, I think I said lives that have taken, uh, certainly like uh, sexual encounters that led to abortion, that alcohol causes all kinds of problems. And so the Bible makes it very clear with alcohol, there are some dangers connected to it. Um, and so it would be very easy for me to take a, a, like a teetotaling stance, but the Bible doesn't allow me to do that. And, and so this is where, like, I, like, I, like, I, Gunner, am personally, like, confronted by the Bible because Gunner stopped drinking, not because of religious reasons, but Gunner stopped drinking because Gunner had some problems with drinking. Um, so, like, when I see my old SEAL buddies and, like, they're like, oh, yeah, I don't drink anymore. They're like, oh, man, I was really worried about you. And these guys are, like, getting blasted. They're like, yeah, you are crazy, man. Like, my name, my nickname was Dirty Bird because I would always buy people shots of wild turkey. Like, that was my go-to. And, like, so, so... You know, it's Gunner's old life. And so then it's like I stopped drinking because of the, the problems that I would have, like, that it, was, that it was reeking in my own life. But so then you come to the Bible, and then you're, like, confronted with some, real, some like, the other side of the coin. You're confronted with some problems that we can't necessarily, like, just write off. Jesus' first miracle. Let's just start with that one. 
He turned water into wine, but it wasn't just like water into wine. He's at like a wedding. And the, all the wine that they had had run out. And then he created like a, like a fondue pot of like wine for like, you know what I mean? Like this was a party. Like, th- like we can't like, and there'll be people on the other side of the coin who like, they're, they're guys that are very reputable and they have like a super knowledge of the language, which just kind of further disappoints me because they take these stance not based on what the scripture says, but because of a point that they're trying to make. And they say, oh, Jesus just turned water into a really strong grape juice. And it's like, well, the context doesn't necessarily support that. And then even if you were to like, let's just say we're going to all say, okay, Jesus didn't make wine. He made Welch's grape juice. And it was just like unbelievable. It was unlike anything they'd ever tasted before. Then he moved forward in the Gospels to Luke chapter 7. Very early in Jesus. Like it's still like not that far into it. And so Jesus speaking says this in Luke chapter 7 verses 33 through 34. He says, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you, says he, you say he has a demon. So John the Baptist, total sober, uh, teetotaler. He, was a, he took the Nazarite vow, so he didn't cut his hair. He didn't know nothing of the vine touched his lips. And they said, he's a freak of nature. And then Jesus says, the son of man, speaking about himself, has come eating and drinking the, the, what you're, we're talking about, wine, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus was taking abuse. He was being accused by the people of being a drunkard because he had wine. There's no indication that Jesus was ever drunk because he was sinless. There's all kinds of evidence that he, he drank and consumed wine. That's the Bible. I'm uncomfortable with it. If you're uncomfortable with this, welcome to the club. Like this is like, because we live in our American culture and we want to condemn it all the way. I'm just speaking for myself and I use we just because I want to not be alone. And then if we fast forward to the very end, the night which Jesus was betrayed, Matthew chapter 26, verse 29, Jesus saying to the disciples, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine. So he's drinking some wine the night that he's going to be arrested and he's going to go to the cross, it's a Passover meal. He's having wine. And he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So Jesus tells them in the coming age, you're going to have a glass of wine with me. That's a radical thought for me to even begin to like fathom that one. But Jesus, his last night in his earthly body while alive, he has a glass of wine and he says, you will have a glass of wine with me in the future kingdom. That's a real hard one to wrap. I haven't gone too deep. There's like in seeing how the other commentators handle this. And there's a lot of verses sort of like on both sides. Um, and I don't have time to do that. Like I don't have time to cover the whole thing. But so the, so the, the issue, when we come to Ephesians 5 verse, what are we at? 18. The issue is drunkenness. Very clearly, the issue is drunkenness. The issue is you lacking control of your own faculties. That is, that is the issue. Now, it's easy to say that. It's harder to define what is drunkenness. Now, we have, we have legal measures, like in the state of California, it's 008 
don't ask me to explain it, but it's just like 0.08. It's like, you know, like if you're at 0.07 and you go to 0.08, then you're drunk. Like that's, and so I know a police officer earlier in their career, they really wanted to know like, what was it to be legally drunk so that when they pulled somebody over and they started interviewing them, they, they would have a good idea of what the other person was experiencing as they were figuring out how to like handle the situation. Because in California, law officers have some discretion about how they handle different situations. So if I understand correctly, um, the officer took home a breathalyzer, sat down, point zero zero, took drank a glass of beer or wine or whatever, waited some time, blew into the breathalyzer, point zero two or whatever, waited some uh, another amount of time, had another glass of wine, blew in, saw what the breathalyzer was, and I don't know how far they took it. But then the end of it was like, basically, like if I pull over anybody with like alcohol in their system, I do not feel bad about arresting them and booking them because you, know, like, you don't have control. And so I think it's super easy for any of us that have had any sort of like experience with drinking. It's very easy to go in from like, I'm just going to have half a glass of wine to like six glasses later and you're drunk. Like, how did that happen? Well, it's a very slippery slope. And, and so I think that for us as Christians, as we relate to alcohol, I think we have to understand like the dangers of it. Um, we 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 have to go into it. Uh, I don't want to like soberly. I don't know if that's the right thing. To, but like with caution, like if you want to have a glass of wine with your dinner, like the there's there's freedom in the scripture to do that. I don't necessarily even put a whole lot on like, I don't have it in my notes, but like the whole appearance of evil, I, I, I think that's a misunderstanding of what the text actually says. We, we have an obligation to make sure that we're, our lives are yielded to the Spirit. And if you're going to have a glass of, like put up some boundaries, like these are, the, these are the things. And then if you exceed that, I would say like you should probably consider not drinking. You know, like you should probably figure out like, if you're missing the mark, the Bible gives some pretty serious warnings. And so if you're slipping into drunkenness, then there's some real big red flags that you probably should like figure out what you have to do to not violate this, this instruction. So if you choose not to drink, you're probably wiser for it. That's basically what I did. Um, I've shared the story before, but my, my journey from like drinking to not drinking, there was like a trying to stop, trying to stop, trying to stop. I eventually stopped. And then, you know, a month went by, six months went by, a year went by, two years went by. And I kind of then had this little counter always going into my, in my mind. Um, and, and the counter got up to like 10 years, 11 years, 12 years. And I tell you what, Gunner, I was so proud of myself. Because I, I mean, I didn't do the coins or anything like that, but it was like Gunner had the, I'm better than you because I have not consumed alcohol. Look at what a good little Christian I am. And then I had a couple of experiences. The first I felt really bad with, we were in Spain, and it was me and Anne. I don't think we had kids yet. And 
and Anna's Spanish grandmother, we were in Jerez, and, and they make like the world's finest sherry. It's like a little tiny, it's like having a little shot of NyQuil. <laughs> and it's horrible. Like, it's still, like, I don't even think I, like, there's literally, and so, but we're in, so the, after dinner, Anna's Spanish grandmother wanted to give us a little, little glass of sherry, and I absolutely refused because I am better than that. And I like felt so bad, like for years, like I had this lingering, like dirtiness about me with how I responded in that moment. And then you fast forward another couple years, I think it was like in 2010, uh, we went to Spain again, but then we did a little hop over to Italy to visit our missionaries that were in Italy. And it happened to be my buddy, for those of you who know Andrea, like he, you know, he's Italian, so he speaks with his hands. And he, he is like, oh, I want to take you to get a Florentine steak. And I'm like, that sounds wonderful. And he's like, and I got to get you like a glass of like red wine. I'm like, brother, I don't, I don't drink. And he's like, what are you, it's not about drinking. He's like, you have the steak, you have the wine. It enters your mouth, goes down your throat, and there's like a marriage of flavors and and I was like, no, man, no, like I, like, I just don't drink. And so he's busted my chops. And then I excused myself to go to the bathroom. I came back, and there's like a little glass of water. It was really funny. It had the bubbles in it, but I was like, super hot day. So I chugged it. That's a glass of champagne. I'm like, why don't you guys warm me? And he's like, well, if you're not smart enough to recognize cream-colored sparkling water in a champagne glass. And then the next week, so we had this whole week of like grappling then the next Sunday, we found ourselves in Spain with Anna's childhood church. And my Spanish was not good at that time. Anna looks at me, she's like, they're asking if you want to stay for the church potluck afterwards. I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Like a potluck in Spain is an is a epic situation. And, um, and so I don't know how it happened, but I ended up at the kids' table not knowing that I was at the kids' table. I was so focused on the table with, like, shrimp and salami and, like, all the wonderful things. And there was Fanta and Coca-Cola, and I'm just going to town. And then there was, like, the main table where all the really good food is. So when I ate all my food, I'm, like, talking to all the little kids. I'm, like, this is the one. I didn't realize I was at the kid table, but I could communicate with them. And, like, where I was having a wonderful time. And I get up to turn around to go to the table, and I see all of the other tables all of the other tables had beers and bottles of wine. And it like dawned on me in that moment, oh my goodness, I'm at the kids' table. They might think I'm a creeper, like hanging out with the kids. Like, and it was like this real big like pushback. And it was like God was showing the legalism that had crept up into my heart. And so like in that moment, I like, like my policy now is like on an international flight or special occasion, I'll have like half a glass of wine to ma- to mainly remove my ticker that's going. So I can't like I can't be put into a situation and say, oh, I don't drink because I've had a glass of wine. Like you know, like so. I just think that we have to be really cautious. Like if you choose not to drink, that's wonderful. Don't judge people that have a glass of wine with their dinner. Like that's that's very clear. Um, because you're going to have an awkward moment in the kingdom of heaven when Jesus offers you a glass of wine, like if that's how it goes down. Like, and then if you choose to drink, just be like real cautious and understanding and count the cost. Um, we, it's, it's, it's difficult when we're given freedom and grace, according to the Bible, to sort of live this way. The instruction here, 
it's like we're running out of time, is that be filled with the Spirit, that, that we're supposed to yield our life to the Spirit of God, that we are to, to go about our days having the Spirit of God within us, influencing us. We're supposed to hear His voice. If we're supposed to like go one direction and He begins to convict us, like, ah, ah, don't do that. We're supposed to say, ah, that's good advice. I need to like go be wise and, and to allow Him to lead us. So far in this letter, We've been told in Ephesians 1.13 that the Spirit of God has sealed us. In chapter 1, verse 22, we're told that the Spirit of God has uh, built us up together as a family. Uh, chapter 3, verse 16, that we're strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit of God. And then back in chapter 4, verse 30, we're told that when we sin, the Holy Spirit, that he is grieved by our sin. And so we need to be cautious. Um, it's been said that in Christ we have all of the Spirit of God within us, but the problem is that often we don't give all of ourselves to him. And so we're instructed here to be filled by him, to allow ourselves to be given to God totally. Then we come to verse 19. Moving on. Uh, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with uh, your heart to the Lord. Uh, to be honest, this one is very difficult. Like I don't exactly understand what this is supposed to be. I don't know if... Um, what's the word? You know when there's a movie and they don't talk, but they sing all the way through the movie? What do you call that? A musical. Hey, that's... So I, like, I read this and I'm like, what is our, are our lives supposed to be a musical with one another? Like we're just supposed to sing everything? Um, I think, like as I was grappling with this this week, I received a text from a person within our bot church family. And the text message said this, you're not bothering me. I think she's cute. She's cuter than you. Like I, uh, it's true. <laughs> she's super cute. Um, and I have four little kids, so I'm used to like all of the stuff. Um, so the text message said, our church family is humbly showing up with prayers and food and messages of love and earnest concern. The true love at Grace Point is spot on with what Christ told us was one of the greatest commands to love your neighbors yourself. And it was awesome to receive this text. So I'm like, I got this text, and this just helped me. Like, I think that that's what it means. Like, how we speak to one another, how we interact with one another. We're actually supposed to care for one another, to love one another, to put each other first. And when the text message came in, whatever was happening in that individual's life, I know nothing about it. Like, I didn't coordinate anything. I knew nothing about it. I'm like, oh yeah, this was going on, and which which means that this person received the love of this body. Because this body saw a need, and then the body responded on its own initiative because they were being led by the Spirit of God. And it had a profound impact, and it's beautiful. Then verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even to the Father. That as followers of Christ, if you want to know the will of God, God wants you to be a grateful person. He wants you to give thanks for all things. All things includes bad things, difficult things, hard things. In all things, we're supposed to give thanks to God. And how do we do that? Or why do we do that? Sometimes, often through the difficult times, that's where God does his most powerful work in our lives. And so it's easy to get through them and to give thanks. But to get to that place where whatever you're going through, to be able to say, no, I just give you thanks, Lord, because whatever's happening in the midst of this, I know you're up to something. And then verse 21 is sort of this transition. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. 
Jesus was our example. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Does Blue Team get a point? Yes. Yes, okay. Um, So our example is a servant. This creator of the universe came and he gave his life as a ransom, as, as an example for us to serve and to be servants of one another. And as we enter into the marriage text next week, the, the whole idea, it's like we all are to be subject to one another out of the fear of Christ. Like ultimately we're submitting to Christ and we're following after him. And in our relationships with one another, we always view the other person as better than ourselves. And when we all do this, it's powerful. And the fear of Christ, Jesus also said, Matthew ten twenty eight. I don't have this one memorized. Do not fear those who kill the body and are unable to kill the soul, but fear him who is able to destroy both the body and soul in hell. That's a pretty, that's Jesus. That's, the, that's our creator saying, hey, fear me. Like you should fear me. You should orientate your lives to understanding that you are nothing before God and that you should see the one who created you and you should align your life and your affairs understanding that you are going to give an account before him. And when you do that, life gets really good. Like, I mean, it's amazing. Like, it sounds so bad. It's funny, the air in this weather, it's very weird to get the temperature. So I'm like, people are like, that's ah, kind of hot. I'm like, that's ah, kind of hot for me too. So I'm like, oh, before, while the worship's going on, I'm like, I'll go back and adjust the air. Like three or four people looked at me and said, thank you. Another person was like, whispering to me, he's like, it's easier to preach evangelism when it's hot in here. <laughs> I forgot about this first, so... I turned down the air because I didn't want to go that route. <laughs> okay, so like, what do we do with this passage? Like, I, I think when we, when we look at this passage, we have this whole element that like, our life is but a vapor. It goes so fast. And so what are the things controlling your life? What, what things are, are using up the, the time that you have for things that are like of no value? Are you being controlled by your flesh and things that you need to really cut out? Like for me, like I want to be led by the spirit. Um, like I want to love like Jesus and I don't like, I don't want to waste my life. Like as I've read through and looked at this passage, there's a book, like John Piper has a book. He's got a bunch of books. Most of them are way above my IQ. Um, but there's one that he wrote for like college kids. So it's like right at my IQ, like it's right there. And it's like, don't waste your life. And John Piper's dad was an evangelist, and he tells this story of this drunk guy that would come to his dad's outreaches all the time. And this old, old man finally, this old drunk man finally surrendered his life to Christ. And John Piper, as a little boy, just remembers hearing this drunken man at the front of the church with his father crying out over and over again, I've wasted it, I've wasted it, I've wasted my life. And then he sort of quotes from this plaque, I forget who wrote the the poem, but that his mother had on the doorpost as he left the house. And the poem reads, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I think that's the heart of this this passage today. I know we're short on time. I'm going to end like I do every so often whenever we stumble across these, these passages. But the passage makes it certain that we're always to be giving thanks for all things in the name of Christ. So Melanie's ready to go. I have to mute my mic. Um, but we're going to end 
which is a time of gratitude. So Melanie has the microphone. So if you want to just say something that you're grateful for, raise your hand. Melanie will, will run over to you, and then you can say it. And then we're just going to end with a, with a time of, of gratitude. And uh, Okay, I'm going to turn off the microphone. Ham or hand? <laughs> well, I, I just want to thank the body for last week. I was uh, during summer nights. I was sick, couldn't come. I'm missing it so much. It was also a birthday, and and I was there at home. And then that that night, Melanie and Tim came to our house afterwards, and Diane and I were there, and and they had this huge, ridiculous card, the most beautiful thing I've ever received in my life. I'll hold it and cherish it for always. And I just want to thank all of you. I'm very grateful. It made my birthday. Thank you. Um, I'm thankful for this church and for you, Gunnar. I've been praying for years for my grandchildren that I didn't believe knew God. In fact, actually rejected him. And last Sunday, when they were here from Michigan, it was their desire to be here at church. And then the message that that Gunnar gave us about the gospel, what it means. And then that receiving communion, I see that as a strong answer to prayer. And later I asked my daughter if Trevor and Amber had, if she thought they had ever heard a message like that. And she said, they did go to church recently. So, It was such an affirmation from the Lord that he hears our prayers. Don't give up. Keep praying. Um, I'm thankful for um, yesterday was 22 years of marriage. Which I know is not a lot compared to a lot of people in here, but <laughs> um, but we spent last night reminiscing each year. What was your favorite part about 2001? What was your favorite day in 2002? And we did that over dinner, and I thought that was just a really neat way to count our blessings. And um, and as they're growing up, um, I am thankful for five years of infertility um, that I had between Emily. Um, because we probably would have never considered adopting Ivan if that hadn't happened. So um, even though it's painful um, when you go through it, it's, uh, there's blessing. <laughs> yeah. I'm thankful for for, for the um, growth uh, um, since I got in contact with the church 
with this church and over the years, and I'm th thankful for the for the growth in the last couple of years with stuff and with with different stuff I've been doing lately, and I think that's all. You know, I I'm I'm so thankful that the ghosts of sins are here because what you what you just said. I mean, you went through something painful that you tried every way to fix, and you couldn't fix it, and you didn't get what you thought you wanted. But instead, God made you wait, and He gave you something that you would never trade for what you thought you wanted, and that is. So encouraging to me, and thank you. I'm thankful for that. Can you believe I just raised my hand? Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking of a new scripture I just learned. It's Psalm 119.32, and it says, I walk in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. And at my age, every day, it's just like, doesn't matter how old you are, it's like every day, he just broadens something new. I am grateful for this church, as many of us are, that my mom and I both got here and said, this is it. It wasn't like I had to look anymore for her to find one that she liked or I liked. And um, we just have felt at home since that day. So thank you. Thank you, Pastor Gunner. Um, there's so many things to be thankful for and grateful for. Um, I don't. I I could ramble all day on this, but I'm so thankful a to know the Lord as my personal Savior, to and also to be able to come to a corporate worship and to hear the Word of God preached and to hear the Scriptures um, given to us and how it touches our hearts daily um, and the lives that we get to interact with in our church body but also the lives that we get to interact with outside of this church and be the witness and the light for him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you... Uh, for you being God. And we pray, Father, that as we live our lives, you would help us, Lord, to honor you uh, with our thoughts, with our actions, Lord, not because we're trying to earn favor with you, but because we recognize, Lord, all that you have done for us in Christ. We thank you that you uh, have filled us and given us every spiritual blessing. We pray, Father, um, that as we live our lives, you would help us to learn what it means to, be, to walk with you, to honor you. I pray that you would help us to become a grateful people, that we would learn uh, just to praise you in the storm, as that one song sings, that we would learn to, to, to give you thanks uh, 
Lord, when we're confused about the things that we're facing, um, we just love you so much, God. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.